this is Gabby and KT and we're back with another episode sorry guys we ain't been here in two weeks had a little vacation as I hope all of y'all were able to as well we'll be back with a vengeance like to donate to the work we're doing link is in the description if you like to join our patreon link is in the description all that good stuff we're going to continue our reading of blood in my eye by george jackson we are on part eight part eight and we are starting on the second paragraph of page 63 on the pdf if you have it the link to the pdf is in the description top heavy establishment organizations that exist openly are always a reflection of the men who staff them. A primary interest to the guerrilla are the bureaucratic institutions that serve to protect the right of the wrongdoers to do their wrong. The local and federal pig establishments, the complexities of the class structure have shifted somewhat since the time of Marx and Lenin. Presently, within the working class, there exists an ultra-right section at the bottom of this structure which feel that all of its demands on life can be met by the existing order. In fact, the working class of USA, 1971, can be realistically divided into two mutually exclusive and conflicting sections, one right-oriented and conservative and the other left to neutral. One explanation for this phenomenon is the loss over the years to fascist nationalist propaganda and state-controlled unions of a clear-cut class consciousness. In effect, It can be said that this right-oriented sector of the working class is a new class, a new pig class. In their ranks, we find a factory or construction worker, the ubiquitous civil service employee, the retired military career man, the man who sells used autos or insurance, the stock clerk or a longshoreman about to be replaced by a machine. All of these individuals are not clearly in the new pig class. Some only just have one foot in the grave. As yet, they only have pig tendencies that can still be redeemed. Outright pigs must either be neutralized or destroyed, parentheses, killed. From the new pig class, parentheses, a section of the working class whose demands are small and are being slowly met by the capitalist masters, close parentheses, the government draws its greatest support. The forces of counter-revolution make themselves felt on the street level through this new class, while above this class in the loosely defined petty bourgeois level and upper middle class professionals and students, we can find some real revolutionary consciousness. There are examples for this complex inverted stratification of revolution potential. The history of the USA and its immigrants, the emphasis placed on subversion of the workers' movements, the unions, by the ruling class, and the apparent, not real, stabilizing of the economy with fascist Keynesian controls and redoubled imperialist expansion, all can be carefully treated to explain the present confusion and contradictions in the new class struggle. But must this I leave to Comrade Newton, who has handled it well so far? This is a comment on what to do with what we have and what we are realistically faced with. The top-heavy bureaucratic agencies that exist with quasi-social sanction, and in particular the ones that are given over to the maintenance of law and order, draw their principal personnel from the pig class, and consequently are an expression of that class's mentality, a stagnant, even atavistic mentality that is completely dependent upon regimen and rote to perform the simplest of functions. 
First of all, the opposition is stupid. However, let me qualify this statement with the observation that they make up for what they lack in brains with sheer brutality. As a result of their original drawback, stupidity, they have expanded to massive proportions and tied themselves irrevocably to a technology based on massive and equally faulty machines to the point now that it is impossible for them ever to hide any of their movements, to move with any real speed, or to change themselves in response to any change in our tech. The very nature of their apparatus, its supposed legality, and its size tends to weaken it. Their growing demand for personnel leaves them hopeless to stop us from infiltrating them. Okay, let's talk about that. So, talking about that first part, you talking about about how um, there is like a pig-ish class, a piggy class that consists of working class people who are on the side of the pigs and and do some of the uh, I would say some of the propagandizing for the pigs, and they work in you know in this day and age it will be the factories, the steel mills if they're still there, the blue collar work, worker. blue collar construction, McDonald's, uh, stuff like that. So your typical white Trump supporter, somebody like that. Um, he was saying that there are people who aren't all the way gone yet. They aren't all the way caught up in the, the fascist propaganda. Those people can be saved, but the ones who cannot be saved cannot be saved, and therefore they must be done with in different measures. Um, and then he starts talking about the contradiction of how, you know, the working class get we're getting the most hit and beat and uh, crushed by this system, will have some of the biggest supporters of capitalism. We see that every day. Yeah. We see that every damn day. You go over there to 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 the boondocks. These folk really got teeth in their mouth. But they saying that Donald Trump is going to do away with the immigrants and the this and the blacks and the this and the that. And they literally have never seen a benefit from America their entire time that they ancestors have been here. And they still are holding on to this dream. And even some black people. Literally brought here as slaves. The America, literally, we are literally the slave class to this day. And some people are still, whoop to do America. And then he said, there's a contradiction because there are some people middle class. There are some people with education. Mm-hmm. They are trying to destroy the system. And so some things are not cut and dry. I will say that. I will say at a certain point, you get to a certain level economically and no, you're, there's no way that you're for the people because you have too much money and it, that you can't have that money and be for the people. But there is, I mean, a lot of people, like even me, I, I, as far as my family's money, I've been considered middle class. Uh, some of the biggest leaders that we ever had were considered middle class. Uh Fidel and uh, who else? Huey Newton and uh, there's lot, lots of leaders that we had had some type of money, some type of privilege, but they used that and they sacrificed that in order to get the ball running. And some of the biggest detractors of revolution have been working class people. So yeah, it's just about knowing who can be saved, who can't, who is your ally, who ain't. In doing it like that. And I do like how he said that there are some people that cannot be saved. So all these people on the internet 
saying we need to go over here to the alt-right, go over here to the Nazis, and be doing uh, uh, conversion camps, pretty much, and trying to get these people to act right, you are wasting time. That is not the way. Yeah, so uh, I just really want to affirm what you was talking about when you said, you know, like, there are... There's going to be some, like, it's not black and white. There's going to be some people who we would look at as, like, higher class who we could be like, okay, you are an ally and maybe there's something that you can do to help. Um, so, yeah, we, we really do need that. And even I'm thinking about, like, nonprofits, maybe not nonprofits themselves, but the some of the people within that, even though we've been anti-nonprofit forever and we will continue to be, um, there are singular people or individual people that we would be willing to work with within that sector. If they are actual revolutionists. If they are if actually, yeah. actually about changing the system and not profiting off said system. That's so correct. that would probably not be the leaders of said nonprofit. It would Say probably it be the workers of said nonprofit, which is what I was saying. There are, there's a, there's a level at there which a there level. are people that are allies. Mm-hmm. If you are over a damn nonprofit, you are not an ally. If you nope. are over a, a business, you are not an ally. Nope. But yes. All right. Back to the text. So, uh, George Jackson is talking about Huey Newton and the way that he is dealing with the contradictions that we are talking about. So, it says, their cybernetics cannot overcome the fact that men, especially of the pig class, are cyclic. They think, function, and live in cycles. This is more to their detriment than ours. Their science of control turns upon them to weaken and wreck their own institutions. How can a massive department or bureau or regiment with hundreds of personnel ever coordinate any activity without the strictest regimentation, without a massive meeting place to familiarize themselves with procedures, without badges or uniforms to identify each other? without systematized patterns of thought and behavior, without dependence on clear-cut orders. Simple pig types can only learn to function by rote and in cycles. Procedure must be drilled into them, and only seldom if ever changed. It is quite easy for a pig to perform a particular function the same way time after time. Once he has learned the function, it is not so easy to vary, especially when there are great numbers of the same types of individuals involved. What would be the result if each pig were given a different job each day in a different area or if he had to vary his code every week or think for himself just one eight-hour shift? Chaos! If it weren't for the sergeant or lieutenant or a routine, when the average pig ran out of gas, his car would have to be pushed out of the street by the citizenry. When his bullets ran out, he would have only a club until he could check with the captain. Cyclic men equipped with only a few Learned responses can be watched, clocked, photographed, and anticipated. Their code isn't really a code at all. They are finished. A pig is a fool. They have numbers over the small vanguard element and the social license to kill. But once we decide on the proper action, we will find that our enemies are vulnerable. For the soldier of the people, the guerrillas, though they also must operate with the tightest structure and in complete harmony with their political branch, Cycles are not a factor in their operations. The subtleties and fundamentals of urban guerrilla warfare can be broken down to their simplest terms this way. Mobility. Only the light, portable, easy machined, or easily stolen weapons are employed by the guerrilla under normal circumstances. On rare occasions, he may hire 
or commandeer a piece of heavy equipment for an isolated or special purpose, which fits in with the improvised, exemporaneous nature of this form of combat. The bomb in all its various forms, Bangalore, Motor, Satchel Charge, Hand Grenade, the Anti-Tank Rocket Launcher, the Sniper's Rifle, the Light Machine Gun, the Silenced Pistol, the Flamethrower, the Poison Dart, Poison Bullet, the crossbow, the knife, the fist, all form the guerrilla arsenal. Provision must be made to move men and equipment in spite of the condition of today's streets and roads in the cities. That means making use of the new four-wheel-driven civilian-type jeeps, station wagons, and motorcycles. The bicycle will regain popularity. Heavy vehicles, the jeeps, trucks, vans. All ordinary-looking family or commercial-looking vehicles, but armored with either plastic or steel, can be either rented or commandeered. All dwellings should be rented and expendable. They should be equipped so that, when forced to leave by tunnel or other hidden exits, the place can be burned to create further confusion for the attacker and destroy evidence. Food and clothing should be purposely simple. Clothing must always be available for disguises. Although part of the gorilla's function is to hijack and commandeer food in non-perishable form from the enemy cultures and stockpiles, he should also learn to identify the food plants that will grow wild all over the country. Even in backyards and vacant lots, he should also learn to want less. Okay, going back to what he was talking about with the pig class, and I guess now we're talking about the soldiers in uh, the U.S. military, or any military. Um, of the West, how, you know, we talk about this all the time when it comes to workers, when it comes to military, America does not want critical thinking people. They want robots. They want people that will follow commands. They want predictability. They want things to be done a certain way when they said immediately get it done. That's it. Yeah. Because if there isn't predictability, then they can't predict the economy. Right. So somebody's going to miss out on money if they can't, if they can't predict what's going to happen with the workers or what's going to happen next. And even with the military, the, the reason, not that I know much about it, But I do know that a lot of things psychologically happen just from talking to people to break people down so that they lose any type of free will, free thought, free independence, free critical thinking, anything in their brain. So that there is all yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay, just go and do what I say. Don't 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 think about it. And so they're trained to do that. They're not they're not trained to critically think. They're not trained to be like, okay, what would I do in this situation? You just do what you're told. You're a soldier. You're an ant. Um, same thing in the workplace. So he was saying that can be an advantage to different groups of people that are on the other side because if you're working in something like guerrilla warfare, while there is structure, while there is a rhyme and reason to things, it's not all set in stone. You have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. You adapt to you adapt to what you're given. You adapt to the enemy. You adapt to your environment. You adapt to what you're trying to accomplish in that time. So it gives the people on the other side an advantage because... The other group might not know what happens if we come in from underneath. They might not know what happens if we get something from up above. They're planning for something else. You know what I'm saying? 
interesting to me when we're talking about the adaptability. I've been in like majority call center environments and with call center environments they teach you that you constantly have to adapt you constantly have to be looking at what's going on and change how your your thought pattern is because at any moment systems can change uh answers can change you're supposed to constantly research it you're supposed to constantly look at things like that and so when he said that my first thought was i bet you Tons of people all over America who have worked at call centers previously would be perfect examples for that because they have been taught, even customer service workers have been taught day in and day out that you must adapt to your surroundings. You must adapt to what's going on and you must change based upon what's happening. And so I really do think that there, with that being said, there's a lot of people that would be able to do just that. And it's interesting how the economy has changed. Back then, obviously, the service economy wasn't the number one force. It right. was the uh, industrial economy still at that point. But now, you are right, we do have some of us. Because even with the adaptability, there's still you still can only go so far. Yeah, true. Like, there is adaptability. You do have to critical think in some way, but there's still a script. Like, you can't just be like, okay, I'm giving you $1,000. Um, but, yes, we do have this new newer generation. Our parents probably has a little bit more skills in that area to a certain extent. But they would be a good workforce or a good, a good people to pull from in something like that. So, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And even uh, another thing I'm thinking about is, like, um... The, I want to say soft parenting, that's not what it is, but it's like, you know, parenting where people are teaching their children, like, it's okay to have feelings, it's okay to have thoughts, like, they're, uh, in 1971, that generation of children uh, were not being raised to have feelings and thoughts, they were being raised to get a job, go to work, and I'm going to spank you at any given time, if you go out of line, right, but we do actually have a class of people or a group of people who are actually treating their children like human beings where they would have the option to begin their life at a critical thinking, you know, set. And so I do think that times have, maybe not significantly, but it has definitely changed since he wrote this in 1971. But now that I'm thinking about it in Memphis, though... What percentage of people in Memphis are working at the call centers? Like, a call center in Memphis is, you're getting a pretty good job uh, compared to being on your feet in the warehouses and stuff like that. There are more work-from-home jobs since COVID and stuff like that. And um, you can possibly get a, a good customer service job. Like, I don't know what... But you're not going to make no good money. You're going to be making, like, Memphis... Uh, Memphis to live here comfortably, you would need to make like $21, $22 a year. I mean, an hour. But if you work at a call center, you're only going to be making like $9 max. That's the max you're going to make at a call center. I know. I've worked there, right? Unless you're working from home. That's and what I'm saying. If you're working from home, from home it's still going to tap out at like $17. Right, but I'm saying that's good money for, that's good money for Memphis. But so what I'm saying is majority of the people, even though we're talking about these skills, majority of the people here are not working in call centers. They're not working 
in uh, any of them jobs where you would need them skills still. So even if you are uh, uh, teaching your children that, when they go into the school in their neighborhood, where the neighborhood is in the area they will more than likely be working, they will not be teaching them, them those, school, those skills. Those skills are not needed for them. Their skills are to do whatever it is the boss tell you. Do go wherever the boss tell you to go. Unload whatever the boss tell you to unload. That is it. So maybe, maybe in the future, if everybody ends up going to the service class, that will be something that schools will start to focus on. But I, I still don't think that we're there yet for the majority of the working class population. No, I didn't. No, I definitely don't think that a uh, majority. But I do think that there is a small group of people, like he's talked about since the beginning. There are a small group of people who could get shit popping. Who, who would could, be good in those areas. Who would be good in those areas, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh... We're going to talk about this infiltration, and then we're going to close it out. So, he says, right now, we can be placing our soldiers inside the various police and military and prison staffs. Our more gifted and better educated comrades could end up in the intelligence units of army and police. Our major sources of weapons should come from our men placed in the military under seemingly ordinary circumstances. This is our enemy's greatest weakness. Any establishment's greatest weakness is the need for personnel to resist the people. This lays them open to infiltration. The guerrilla army that operates within the city is necessarily small. So we stop infiltration by being very selective and conducting thorough and murderous tests and making full use of the principles underlying departmentalization. All right, so we'll end here. This is uh, page 68, and we're going to read a little bit more next time about, you know, some of the methods that can be used by the guerrilla army to be effective. So something that was interesting about the infiltration he's talking about is, you know, you hear people all the time saying, I'm going to change the police force from from within. (laughs) I'm going to change the school system from within. It's usually one person. Saying I'm going to change the entire structure. I have no backing. I have no, I no have plan. No, no plan. <laughs> I have no people supporting me. I have nobody to call on if something goes on. I have nobody in power to call on. I'm just going to change it from within myself. Very individualistic. Very egotistical, and all that other stuff. <laughs> to think that you got that power, yeah, by yourself, yeah. And so infiltration, I don't know if that necessarily would work. I don't know. Maybe more people have read on that infiltrating uh, something like a police force or the government or something like that. But you definitely would need a organization backing you, behind you, so that if something goes down, you're, you're able to take risks. If you lose your job, it's okay. We got you. We're literally helping you with clothing, with this, with that. So don't be afraid to blow a whistle. Don't be afraid to take this or take that. We got your bail. We're going to be there if they try to come after you. We are your protection. You wouldn't need something like that to be effective. And none of these people have any of that stuff. They just going over there with a backpack and a computer (laughs) and thinking that they are going to be the revolutionary of the world. And that is ignorant. So, um, what did uh, didn't Obama run on change? Like, wasn't that his thing? So, I mean, if if we really look at that, I I just feel like there's 
we just really think that one singular person, we've been taught that one singular person has so much power, when in actuality, one singular person has no power in comparison to hundreds of thousands. And so that's what I feel like we really need to learn from this section, is that, and what he was talking about, is that there are power in numbers. And so we're over here, we're so worried about the, the singular CEO. That's only one person. There are hundreds of thousands more people who are working underneath the CEO that could get things, you know, going and could get things to change. If that is the, the road and if the method we should take. Yeah. But I don't even know if there's something that should be taken. I mean, there's something for everybody to uh, figure out amongst your people if that's something that y'all want to do. Uh, it, but it, not, that's not my ministry at the moment. But it's definitely something easy, I mean, something good that we should uh, consider. Consider all our options, but do it in a principled manner. Like, do it with actual purpose and a strategy and actually, you know, some type of common sense. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's all I'm saying. All right, guys. Um, This was part eight with my eye. Um, let us know what you thought. You can hit us up on YouTube, like, subscribe, and send your comments under there. Or hit us up on social media at Building Our PWR anywhere on the internet. Um, and hit the description for ways to donate, Patreon, all that other stuff. Um, this has been Gabby. And Katie. And this has been Building Our Power.